Hello, I'm Billy Buttery, and this is Food is Culture, a podcast. Is there a more delicious combo than fried chicken and waffles? I'll wait. It's really the perfect combo. Personally, I love spicy syrup atop of my mountain of chicken and waffles. It's the perfect brunch food. Have you ever made fried chicken at home? How about waffles? I've done both, and it's never as great as I want it to be. Today's guest and I talk about how some things are just better at home, like mac and cheese, always best made from scratch with love. Whereas I would say fried chicken and waffles is the reverse. You need a big, beautiful deep fryer and an industrial waffle maker to do it correctly. Speaking of home versus restaurant, something I think a bunch of past guests could agree on is the allure of a wonderfully roasted chicken. Nothing quite like it. The crispy skin, the juiciness, the presentation, it's the tops. And if a perfectly home roasted chicken is the tops, rotisserie chicken while out reigns supreme. And no one does rotisserie chicken and fried chicken better than today's guest. Corey Vitiello is the executive chef behind Flock, a Toronto chicken spot slowly but surely taking over the city. Formerly known for his burger at the Harvard Room, Corey is an amazing chef. Appearing regularly on the Food Network and in food publications, Corey owns his chefness. Is that a word? <laughs> You'll hear more about it in today's episode. Corey is a fantastic chef, wonderful father and partner, great friend, handsome and charming. Some would say like a prince. <laughs> I hope you enjoy today's episode. Cheers. Hi, Corey. Thank you for joining me tonight. My pleasure. Thank you, Billy. It's such a pleasure to have you. You know what? I, I, I couldn't say no. We, we go back. And um, <laughs> you know, when, when, I, when, I, when I cooked for your wedding. Yes. And my was, son's baby shower. And your son's baby shower. Yeah. We have, we have some history in the, in the restaurant. Business. Yes. And I was even honored to have one of the last burgers at Harvard Room on that, that fateful night. Last night That's in the right. kitchen. <laughs> I was, um, yeah. The, for, no, that'll be five years ago in October. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. A, life, a lifetime. Literally, between the two of us, three lifetimes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. Okay, well, I want to jump right in. Um, So how do you define your cultural background? My cultural background is a lot, you know, it has a lot to do with, you know, my, my, obviously my ethnicity as much as it has to do with, you know, my upbringing, where I'm from. Uh, but to start off, my you know my father's background it probably has the the greatest impact on you know my my style of food and and my love of food. You know he's um, he was born in Italy, came over uh, from southern Italy when he was about five years old, and uh, immigrated to um, uh, northern Ontario, and then moved to Fort Erie, where he met my mother and my mom as third generation Canadian. So. You know, two very uh, distinctly polarizing cultural background. One kind of steeped in, in old world cooking and, and producing foods, especially you know, a poor immigrant family who um, you know kind of stereotypically grew everything they ate and, and you know kind of produced everything with with their own hands. And then you know, a third generation Canadian family where there's a lot of you know obviously a lot of kind of American influences. And you know, you, you can picture that style of you know 50s, 60s, 70s food that's you know kind of been populated in all of your mm-hmm. famous cookbooks that that, <laughs> that, that kind of g- glamorize that. Style. Food. So I grew up with both of those influences, and so you know, both of my grandparents were, or both sets of my grandparents were very skilled cooks, and, and you know, two two totally different styles. So I, you know, on on one hand, I, I grew up with the love of you know real southern Italian cooking, and on on the other hand, I grew up with the love of uh, you know a perfect casserole and rice puddings and all, all of these kind of Canadiana dishes. You know, it's, I find I find it so hard to describe Canadian cooking. Then it's it's just such a, a mashup of all of these influences. Totally, actually, that's funny. That was one of my questions. Was what would you say is sort of like a very classic Canadian dish, but I think it is a little bit hard to define. It's hard to define. It's, you know, it's, you know, I mean, in Canada, we're blessed with so many beautiful food products and, 
you know, right off the top, you want to think about, you know, the, the wild salmon and the maple syrup and uh, all, all, all of these, you know, these are all the kind of stereotypical ones that, you know, you get sold to the tourists. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Canadian cooking really is a, it's, it's just a, it's a mashup of, of the beautiful products that, that, that come from our land. Um, you know, obviously there's, you know, indigenous techniques that have, that have been, um, you know, produced for, you know, generations and generations. So I think if anything, that's, that's your kind of iconic Canadian cuisine. Everybody else just kind of brought over the influences and, and merged them together. Mm-hmm. Have you had, um, was cream peas a staple in your Canadian side of the household? Sorry, creamed peas? Yeah. Creamed peas were most likely a staple. So that, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they, they definitely were. So we, you know, I, I grew up in Brantford and, and my, you know, so my childhood was, um, you know, meals were a very utilitarian aspect of our day. It was, you know, we were a very active household, myself and my two brothers, uh, all of us, you know, doing extracurricular things in and around school. And a lot, you know, my parents were quite active in the community as well. So, you know, we're, we're all very busy and, and, you know, food for the most part was, you know, it was a, it was a healthy, plentiful meal that was meant to fuel us and, and get us on our way. Um, not to say that it wasn't delicious because, you know, my mom was a good cook, but, you know, its main purpose was let's get these guys these three boys uh, enough food to, to get them on their way and, and make sure it's healthy and, and plentiful and, and you know so when I when I think about the, the the purpose of food growing up that was the that was really the main purpose was was fuel it was good fuel but it was fuel mm-hmm. and, and you know visiting my grandparents is when we got to uh, both sets my mother's my mother's parents and my father's that's when we you know really kind of luxuriated over over the idea of eating as a family yeah when having like long big meals and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm. Do you have, uh, do you remember what your first memory of food is? I think it, you know, I, I, I don't actually, I was trying to think of that. Um, you know, I, I saw that you were going to ask that question. I was trying to, you know, come up with something or maybe I was trying <laughs> to force my brain to think of something uniquely different than, you know, some, some of the other, um, you know, guests might have had. But I, I, the only thing I could think of was my grandmother's, um, and maybe it's not my first memory, but it's definitely my most profound memory. It's my, my um, maternal grandmother's rice pudding. Mm. And it was always, as far as I can remember, it was always, a, you know, there was always a big bowl of it in her fridge. And I'm sure she certainly made it for us, but uh, she, she had a unique way of making it that I, that I still make today. I, I find it, you know, it was so craveable. And it was the one thing I ran to her fridge for every time, but it was a standard rice pudding. But there, there would be heaps of whipped egg whites folded into it at the last minute and just topped with a tremendous amount of, of cinnamon on top. But it was the egg whites that gave it this really uh, light texture that, that I still do today. And, and I'm surprised that. Most people don't associate that with rice pudding, but for me, it's just so, it's such a common thing. So mm-hmm. that's, 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 that's definitely my, that's definitely my, my favorite memory of, of food growing up, whether or not it's my first. That's so fun. Well, that was, that was my, my next question. What was your favorite dish? It's funny, actually, that's, my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, paternal grandmother she loves she makes rice pudding and she's you know is very canadian as well so it's it's definitely a canadian thing yeah it is isn't it um you know and i'm always torn when i go to you know deli counters at 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 some shops around toronto there's always like the kind of ubiquitous deli container of rice pudding and i'm always so tempted to get it and i remind myself like no it's not going to be what you want (laughs) i know you want it to be good so bad and it never is it's just never the real thing totally you know what is really funny is i actually feel that way about mac and cheese it's just yeah never. that's another one that you know there's there's food that should can only be done at home and yeah. you know i, I kind of had a cookbook idea of uh, you know food there's a lot of chefs that do cookbooks and the idea is you know making food that uh, is, is somewhat of a, a compromised version of a dish that they would make at their restaurant mm-hmm. uh you know and and you know he or she telling the reader that oh this is 
you know, the way I do it at my restaurant. Obviously, you can't do that. Here's a compromised version at home. I think a much more interesting version would be, you know, things like mac and cheese and things like rice pudding. Well, these are dishes that you can make, you know, with so much love at home that you actually can't replicate broccoli in a restaurant. They're meant to be enjoyed at home and there's so much more love and passion that goes into them. And, uh, you know, that's what that's what makes them so much more special than, than just going to a restaurant and ordering these uh, items that have been, you know, prepared for volume and, and speed cooking. And that's one thing I have to say I love about certain cookbooks. There's some um, chefs or uh, cooks that I love their yeah. cookbooks specifically because they say, this is great if it's in season. If not, substitute it with this. Or this yeah. is actually great dried as opposed to fresh because it retains the flavor. And I think that that if you're maybe a novice cook in the kitchen and you have, you know, the cookbook is your Bible and you're following it to a tea and it doesn't end up tasting delicious, you blame yourself. When in reality, you know, I think with cooking, you really have to taste as you go along and alter. You do. And it's a real education that you have to, you know, to train yourself from. And, and it starts by, uh, you know, just using your senses when you're everything from grocery shopping to in the markets to cooking. And it's just repetitive tasting and smelling and tasting and smelling. And then you just build up this database in your head of what works and what doesn't. And, and then you can really start creating. But it's, you know, uh, you know, coming up with those nuanced skills that, you know, that, that kind of make a great cook. You know, there's no difference between, and the only, I should say, the only difference between, you know, a chef and a great home cook is, you know, one does it professionally for a full restaurant every night and the other one does it, you know, for friends and family or just themselves. But the actual skill and, and, and the talent is, is, is on par. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's really just, uh, it's, it's, sorry, my kid's falling up there, Martina. He's making a jailbreak. Apparently, um, jailbreak at 9 p.m. That's a little bastard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I thought I had a point there, and then I heard him crying, and I just kept talking. I'm like, wait a minute, what am I talking about? <laughs> um, home cooks and and chefs, and I, I love that you said that. That's um, I mean, to cook for that many people in a restaurant every night, and I mean, kitchens are just such intense environments. It's definitely a different vibe, but I think you know, as I've cooked more for, um, for my family and my friends and, you know, in a couple classroom settings, there is definitely to, you know, spelling and tasting and following your senses. Yeah. I think, I think my getting back to my point was that, you know, the demystify the cooking There's you know, there's nothing that we are doing as professionals that can't be done as well or better at home for, for any home cook. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's training like everything else. Like you said, it's the smelling, it's the tasting, it's, um, you know, exploring recipes and using them more as um, a template than a rigid guideline or a rigid recipe, mm -hmm. making mistakes and, and uh, you know, taking notes. And, you know, after time, you'll be surprised. You'll start creating dishes on your own and you'll develop that, that palate and that sense in that database. I mean, you're just pulling flavors and combinations out of, out of thin air and you'll, you'll, you'll just wake up and you'll surprise yourself one day that, oh, this is... You know, this this is the stuff that I thought was only attainable in, in restaurant level cooking. Well, the, when you were talking, I thought of you know Bob Ross, like Happy Little Accidents. <laughs> There's so yeah, many times right. where <laughs> where I'll do something, and I'm like, oh, I don't have this like a key ingredient after I've started a recipe, and then it ends up sort of like remixing and becoming something else, and it'll become a staple in our house because we'll just love it so much better this way. It's it's surprising how often that happens, even you know even even with myself now. You know, after cooking for thirty or twenty twenty five years, that I that I just stumble across something via a, a happy accident. Mm -hmm. um, who was the cook primarily growing up at your house? Cook was, you know, definitely my my mom, and I, I jumped in to help her when I was quite young. Uh, I loved 
but I grew up cooking with both my grandparents when I was quite young, and, and I always had a, you know, I, I was, I always, I was always gravitated in, into the world. Uh, but I, I probably started doing a lot of the cooking with my mom. I would say in early grade school and in high school, I was, I was pretty committed to, to taking over the, the kitchen. Um, but you know, my, I think, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't recall my dad ever cooking a meal at home and. You know, oddly enough, he was surrounded by, you know, some of the best cooks and the best food. But, um, you know, the, the kind of way of cooking and eating, um, sadly, was not passed on to him. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, growing, you know, being spoiled by my grandparents and, you know, my, my Southern Italian grandparents, you know, that, that was very much isolated to going to visit them. That food and that style of eating did not make it into my uh, immediate family's table, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And would you say when you sort of started taking over the kitchen a little bit and becoming more involved? Were you doing your mom's dishes or were you already remixing? I think I was doing a lot of my mom's dishes, a lot of my grandparents' dishes. Uh, you know, I, I, I tried to absorb as much of my Italian grandparents' food as I probably could in, in that cooking. But, you know, as you know, Italian grandparents aren't so forthcoming with uh, <laughs> you know, opening up opening up their recipe books, which is, you know, just their heads. Mm-hmm. But I think I was doing, you know, I was trying to do a lot of, um, you know, a lot of mixing uh, or, or kind of, you know, remixing, but, you know, cook, that was also a time when food network was just being born and the restaurant industry was being glamorized. And I, I guess we're in the, you know, we'd be in like the early nineties right now when, uh, you know, food publications are becoming a little more, uh, you know, widely circulated on shelves of, of, you know, every kind of bookstore and magazine store. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think that, you know, food network was early nineties. So, you know, this is when I'm in grade nine, 10, 11. And, and now it's becoming a little more, more mainstream. And the idea of being a chef is, is starting to uh, look like a viable future mm-hmm. or a viable career. So, you know, I, there was definitely some, you know, a lot of inspiration from, from media around me. And, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of top chefs were starting to launch their own cookbooks. So I had a lot of material to absorb at that age. That's so fun. Um, what would you say is your celebration food? It sounds like I've got a stick up my ass, but it's it's caviar, and I'm almost embarrassed to say it because it just <laughs> mm. sounds like such a just a ponzi asshole thing to say. <laughs> you know, uh, it's so refreshing know. because everyone, a lot of guests will say, you know, the most simplistic meal, and that's what they crave. But yes, caviar, I, I love get it. it. But you know, celebrating it. it's not, occasion. Um, you go YOLO on it. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where that's from. I, I think it took me a long time to actually enjoy caviar. Mm-hmm. Um, a really long time. I disliked it for a while and I was kind of forced to eat it when I was working at Scaramouche because it would be on the menu and I was 18 years old when I started there. And we had to try every tin that we served to make sure it wasn't off. And I, I, I kind of, you know, still, still, still to this day, you know, the way I don't like scotch and I try to enjoy it and I try to, you know, convince myself that, you know, it's just something you have to get over and it's your palate. And I, I did that with caviar and for the longest time, I just despised it all the while convincing myself that, you know, this is such a heightened food to eat and you better learn to love it. One day it just clicked mm-hmm. and I had that aha moment where, 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 you know, I started obsessing over it, but you know, it's, it's a once a year thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's our Christmas, uh, it's our Christmas breakfast every year mm-hmm. and it's just that it's celebratory, it's special and we make a big deal out of it. And it's not something we take lightly. It's a disgusting amount of money spent on a few bites of food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we realized that, you know, the, the food scarcity and, and, um, you know, the fact that a lot of people could, could you know, could never afford a dream to, you know, put a spoonful of something like that in their mouth. And, and, you know, we don't take any of that for granted. It's, it's mm-hmm. something that's special and, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just that thing that's so celebratory for us. I love that. Well, I, 
I mean, I have been dreaming of, you know, my first brunch out with a whole group of girlfriends when that's, you know, able to happen and we can all safely do that at a restaurant. And my first, you know, my, my dream dish that I want to have is eggs, Benny with, um, caviar on top. Okay. <laughs> I've been, I've been okay. Crazy. Good. That's a great way to, that's a great celebration, you know, that is a celebration. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. That's a good one. You know, I get when you say you'd rather read of something, you know, so simple and, and satisfying. So, I mean, that's my mm-hmm. celebration meal. I think, yeah, celebration. You know, my, my, my death row meal, if you were to ask that, would probably be <laughs> along those lines, something like, a, you know, the, the perfect fried chicken. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And I mean, you know. Flock does the, the best fried chicken. Thank you. We, we just we just tweaked our recipe a little more. So Ooh, it's, uh, I'll have it's, to try it's it. Honed. <laughs> I haven't had it in a, in a bit, but it's definitely my favorite. For Thanks, the listeners, um, I am so obsessed with flock fried chicken that for my baby shower that you guys did, I requested fried chicken and waffles. <laughs> I remember. I remember. It was a good one. So well, good. it's even better now. So we'll have to, have to get you back in. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that baby who we're showering can now uh, enjoy some of that. Oh, yeah. He will definitely double fist that. That's oh, for sure. Three, three years? Three years old? Yeah. Uh, he just turned four. Four years old. Four years. Yeah. You can definitely enjoy fried chicken. Yeah. Oh, well, even my one-year-old, I mean, she, she has a pretty good palate, so I think she'd probably get in on that too. <laughs> um, what would you say when you were a kid was, okay, it was your birthday and your mom would say, okay, what do you want to have for your birthday? Was that sort of like a special meal or a special dessert? I think, you know what, my, it was for sure my mom's mother, but my, my, uh, my nanny uh, would make us money cakes. Mm. And, you know, these are like the unsanitized version with, you know, like dirty nickels and, and dimes in them and quarters that you just kind of stumble across. These aren't ones where you're like pulling, you know, we didn't have two knees then, so there were no large coins. Mm-hmm. So you had to really go digging around for the nickels and dimes. Oh, there's there something, sad. <laughs> you know, my, my, my brothers and I just, we just, we, we loved it. It was so special. Okay, I think we had them every, every birthday until we were like five years old, but, you know, just like chomping down and, and cracking your teeth on a, on a, on a dime was never so sensational as it was then. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Uh, do you remember what the first solid food you made for your son was? I do. So we fed him. We never really fed him baby food. We let him just chew on whatever we were making ourselves uh, just so we could start, you know, kind of understanding the, the mechanisms of chewing when he was quite young. Um, you know, we would serve him, uh, I think the first solid food was like an overcooked tiny noodle pasta. And it's one of his favorite dishes today is still this like bastardized carbonara <laughs> with you know, overcooked broccoli and a uh, little tubetti, a lot of egg, cream, olive oil, butter. I mean, it's very rich. He's got a very mm. rich palate. Um, every, everything's just drowned. Everything's drowned in 35% cream and olive oil and butter. <laughs> yeah. And cheese. So, you know, so I, I think it was, it was definitely a version of that. And, and it's still today's favorite food. It's, it's you know, I've, there's like three things on our roster where we know if we cook this for him, it's, it's 100% accurate. I mean, he's going to take this down. Mm-hmm. And every other meal, it seems there's like a 10% chance he's going to eat it. Oh, yeah. So, that's just, you know, we've got, I think, I think that's, he's two and a half. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the same as every parent, but, you know, we, we try and explore and, and feed them, you know, uh, different foods and, and, a, and a wide variety of foods, especially vegetables. But, you know, sometimes we just cave and and, uh, and, and go for that sure thing. Well, I mean, I know with my son, after a couple nights of, you know, pushing around his dinner and not sleeping great, I'm like, okay, I'm going to carb load this kid. I know. Yeah, he's gonna... <laughs> just got to give it to him. <laughs> I know he's going to have for it. him, it's for us. Exactly. And get, you know, some vegetables. I'll give him like a what is, what is, vegetable. What is, what is your... What is the go-to at your house? 
uh, for for both kids, they love a really simple vegetarian tomato sauce. Like my son mm-hmm. only really likes tomato sauce. Like once in a while he'll have mac and cheese or he'll have something with like a cream base, but usually not. It has to be tomato sauce. He prefers just big chunks of vegetables on top of spaghetti because he likes to twirl really? it. Yeah. Oh, the twirling is the, the best when they can twirl. Um, yeah. Big chunks of vegetables in the sauce or on top? In the sauce. in the, Always in the sauce. If it's on okay. top, then he won't eat it. And, but not carrots. So my daughter loves carrots. So she'll eat the carrots. <laughs> and then Rome will have like the broccoli. Or if I, you know, chop up some pepper, um, he'll eat that. If there's onions in there like that are like really nicely sauteed and soft, he'll eat that. But it has to be like just like a nice, you know, simple tomato sauce, lots of basil. And uh, I love that. See, that's. Yeah, no, that that's similar, but I don't, I don't know if this guy would do the vegetables. He loves vegetables, not in that style. He's he's more of a Thai curry guy with his vegetables. Mm, yeah, a green a green a green Thai curry we make once in a while. That's that's one of his sure uh, sure fire meal. Nice, that sounds good. But his pasta is a purist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kids, uh, but then again, like I'll say that, and now tomorrow I'll make that for him, and he won't eat it because toddlers are <laughs> <laughs> the worst. Does your son ever refuse to eat anything you make? Oh, yeah, quite a bit. Um, you know, I think if, if one were to look at my Instagram, it looks like we're just having the best time here cooking and eating, and he's so easy and eats everything, and it's, it's far from the truth. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, 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 he's become a, a little more picky, and, um, you know, obviously as, as a parent, you know, the, you know, there's nothing more, you know, beautiful, beautiful or, 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 or you don't get any, any sense of satisfaction that even comes close to watching, you know, your child eat a eat a bowl of food that you prepared and nourish himself. And there's just, there's something just so perfect about that feeling, watching your kid just eat the food that you prepared. Mm -hmm. So when he, when he does, and it's crushing and it's frustrating and you, you know, you'll push and push and try all these tricks with different, you know, we'll bring in like a whole new set of spoons for him. Maybe he wants this novelty spoon. We've got like a shovel coming in from the garden. Maybe you want to eat off this and the chopsticks come in. It's not the spoon. Okay. Eat it off. You know, try your eating off your hand or we'll change the plate and we'll, you know, and then nothing works. And it's, uh, and then are you just like, it is, it is frustrating it's yeah and maybe it's when we don't know what it's yeah, right do you have any idea who i am people would kill for this um no you see it's yeah it's it, it breaks your heart it's frustrating and you you know you're pulling your hair out and you you know you think oh why well, i you know i just wasted an hour in the kitchen and it's, you know now i've got to spend an hour cleaning up because this kid threw his food all over the kitchen you know it's, it's all kinds of frustrating but uh you know it's always it's always forgotten about yeah. Uh, that, you know, that that's like a fleeting feeling that, you know, you realize, okay, this is, you don't, you know, you're not, you can't communicate what he's feeling or if he's actually hungry or yeah. if his tummy's not doing so hot right now. So, you know, I, I try to, um, you know, always remind myself of, of that and not, not get frustrated by it and just move on to the next. And worst comes to worst, I can always give him peaches and, and yogurt and I'll gobble that up as, as, as much as I can possibly put in front of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kids are, you know, the worst critic, but I love that what you're saying about when they do eat your cooking and you see them enjoy it. Oh, it's, it's, soul it's just you're nourishing your child. There's nothing more perfect. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Um, do you remember what the first meal you made for Martina it was? First meal I made Martina. I think about Martina and her whole family. They're very talented cooks. Um, you know, uh, so my... I was so I, I was cooking. I actually was cooking for Martina um, long before I we, we started dating. We were friends for for a number of years, and I was friends with her family, and they were regulars at my restaurant. And you know, we lived actually around the corner from each other. 
And, you know, about a year or so before we started dating, we, you know, we became closer friends and we did a little bit of cooking together in kind of our flirtatious stage, mm-hmm. uh, courting stage. So uh, I, I remember I made a, I, I would really try hard around her. Um, and, and she's, she's such a talented cook as well. So I'd have to try extra hard to impress her. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, that, that's at least my memory of it. Her memory is, is probably nothing like that. I mean, she's very unpretentious and, and was probably, you know, loving anything that I, that I put in front of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my mind, it was, you know, I actually had to work quite hard to, to impress her being a very talented cook herself. Uh, but the, I think the first thing I made her was, um, we, we developed this cake recipe together. This, it was like a plum, plus foodie mixed with like a custard cake. It was, it was kind of a hybrid recipe that we made together uh, before we started dating at her house when she lived um, uh, close to the Harbour Durham. But uh, we still get in arguments to the day about who actually contributed more to the creation of this dish. And in her <laughs> mind, it was her creation. In my mind, I created it. Um, but, you know, what we do know is we haven't been able to replicate it. We, we didn't write the recipe down, but we both remember it being uh, one of the best desserts we'd ever had. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, but there's no there's no uh, proper documentation of how that evening <laughs> unfolded, and and there's no there's no recipe to to replicate afterwards. But it was a magical moment. That sounds wonderful. Well, now you can you know try and recreate it with your son as well. We can. That's right. All three of you. He can be the taste tester. He's good at that. He's got an insatiable <laughs> sweet tooth like me. Have you started letting him help you in the kitchen? Yeah, as much as you know, as much as we can. He's he loves chopping. He's got his tiny little mini butter knife, and uh, he loves stirring. And he's you know he can actually make an espresso now. Oh, nice, interesting. But he's he you know he we we haven't we haven't really let him in front of the stove yet. He kind of keeps off to his side. He does Mm -hmm. little chopping with his little knife. Um, but it's pretty sweet. So I do look forward to the day that I can, you know, that I can kind of start walking him through recipes. Yeah, but, you know, as of now, he'll sit on the opposite side of the counter. He'll watch and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll kind of play around and make his comments and eat his raisins. <laughs> so fun. Well, we talked about flock a little bit. So how many flocks are there now? There are seven flocks, including our commissary kitchen. So our commissary kitchen is, uh, is, is um, uh, in the East End. And we do a lot of quite a bit of production out there for to service the other restaurants. A lot of our dressings, things that you know take take recipes, uh, we produce out of there. And we also use that as uh, kind of our catering hub as well. So we've got that, and then we've got six walk-in retail locations. And the retail locations are at Young and Shepherd, uh, Richmond and Bay College and University, Bedina and or sorry uh, Adelaide and um, Adelaide and Peter, Bedina and Harvard, and uh, what am I missing? Church and Bloor. Amazing. I mean, flock to me is like when you think of, you know, a Canadian fast food restaurant, I think you think of something. But to me, flock just blows those guys out of the water. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Listen, I love the chalet twist myself. But, um, <laughs> you know, I thanks. So, yeah, we've uh, we're, you know, we're five years in and, um, you know, it's, it's evolved from what my first, you know, kind of. Not my first love. This is it's probably still one of my favorite all-time meals. It's just roast chicken and salad. Mm-hmm. So you know that's five years ago when we were conceptualizing this. That's kind of what um, spawned the idea, and, and uh, you know, to date, it's still it's still my my kind of quintessential um, Sunday dinner. It's still a beautiful roast chicken and 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 uh, little 
simple bistro salad. I love it. I've, I've had a couple of them. I want to say, actually, I've probably had all the salads, I think, and they are all so delicious. I love all the different elements and the different flavors are so good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the way that I've, that I've, kind of learn to eat and, and, and love to eat after spending a lifetime making um you know some of the the richest most decadent food i just <laughs> used course about five years ago and decided you know what i can't i can't i can't eat every meal like this it's, uh I've got, I've got to switch it up and, and take take my health a little more seriously and you know uh that that birth flock well and i think that there's something to you know at every point in someone's life you kind of go back to your roots and like you were saying when you were younger with your family you sort of ate for fuel as opposed to a decadent mm-hmm meal every single night so and i think there's nothing better fuel than a big salad and some roast chicken that's amazing yeah you know what i'm glad i'm glad you love it as well because it it is it is my favorite so good is there anything else you want to share with us any any developments on the horizon um we've got um you know we've we've got a few other kind of iterations of of the flock brand that we're working on now we're working on a um kind of a, a, a secondary sister concept of flock you know focusing on fried chicken we think, uh, as as you know, that's one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. So we've 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 been working and working and working. We've got to do a really good place that we think we're ready to go and do a, a you know a full concept around it. You know, my work with Cactus Club is uh, is still ongoing, and I, I absolutely love that company and love working with them. So we're we're constantly refreshing their menu and working with with their uh, with their corporate teams. And uh, my catering work with uh, with Temptation is hopefully going to uh, return soon after the pandemic, mm-hmm. but. You know, unfortunately, catering companies are probably the hardest during this. Sure. Well, and I didn't want to um, totally over, you know, gloss over that part of the conversation. How have you felt the impact at the restaurants with COVID? You know, we've got, um, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky that we are naturally a takeout restaurant. So we're, you know, we're, we're it's, it's been easier on us than, than a lot of my peers' restaurants uh, but you know, it's not it's not without you know serious impact. You know, we rely on a lot of our the success of our restaurants. You know, being supported by people working in the downtown buildings, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, those buildings are completely empty right now. So, you know, whether or not we can take food well or, or not doesn't matter unless people are, are, are turning up to work and supporting us in those buildings. So it's it's been extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've. Uh, you know, we, we've we've been lucky enough to have some regular customers still still uh, still patron us, but you know, I've got a lot of friends who aren't in nearly in, in as fortunate as uh, a situation as we are that are uh, in much much harder spots. Yeah, it's devastating, and I mean, this most recent blow, um, I'm sure, also isn't great. But you know, hopefully, uh, as a province and a country, we are able to move forward in the summer. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 uh, I'm sure that we will be. I mean, I, in my mind, if business back to normal, hopefully, hopefully in the fall, winter. But mm-hmm. I, I'd be surprised a bit if you know we we had anything like a, a regular uh, summer. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, so speaking of Cactus Club, because I know that Cactus Club is across Canada, have you, you noticed that there's a difference in taste between West Coast and East Coast? Uh, the Cactus Clubs or in general. Uh, well, in general, yeah. In, in general, um, Toronto is a very you know the Toronto food scene is um, and Montreal and Montreal and, and Vancouver's are, are world, they're all world class. So we you know we're lucky enough to get uh, a lot of uh, a lot of really really top restaurants and, and top chefs doing um, you know world class food all around this country. And well, I mean not even outside. I mean you could go coast to coast. I mean you're going right up right up until the the corner of of Canada, which is um, 
uh, Fogel Island. I mean, you know, right. If you, if you're talking about food across this country, it's just nothing shy of world class. So, you know, as far as taste go from, um, I, I can comment probably on the, the restaurant scene more than taste. I think what, what Toronto does as well as anybody is these small kind of independent restaurant scene, you know, and that a lot of that goes hand in hand with, you know, the spaces that are available. Um, you know, when we talk about the restaurants that have been birthed from, from the city, we're, we're looking at, well, what's that, buddy? <laughs> Barlow just came down. I'm like, what the hell are you doing up? He didn't want to make appearance. <laughs> hey, what are you doing awake? Hmm? What are you doing up? What's that? Well, you're a sad guy, aren't you? What do you need? Let me... No, no, no. It's bedtime for you. Did you sneak out? Did your mom know you're awake? Hmm? Oh, poor guy. Um, Yeah, what was I saying? So, uh, yeah, the restaurant scene. I think Toronto's restaurant scene is, um, yeah, a lot of, you know, when I I opened up the Harbour Gym, geez, 15, 16 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, it was, it was quite easy to um, get your hands on a business and, and kind of carve out, you know, that piece of Toronto for yourself. It was it was a, it was a great city for budding entrepreneurs and anybody with a, with a creative, you know, kind of vision in in any field could really go out and get that small business loan, secure a lease, make the dream happen. And it was a, it was a really accessible city, so that birthed a lot of these little, you know, pocket restaurants, these thirty feet gems like you know the Black Hoof and Campagnolo and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these, these, this one specific type of restaurant that was, you know, these kind of micro independent restaurants that in my, in my mind only really worked in Toronto at, at that, in that period of time, in that kind of decade where it was feasible to, to run that size of restaurant. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, I think of Toronto restaurants and what, what, what makes Toronto unique, it's, it's that kind of restaurant scene. Vancouver, it's, it tends to be a little more of the, you know, the bigger box restaurants because, you know, it wasn't, you know, the, um, ease of operating wasn't uh, or the or the ease of finding these spaces i think is was a little more challenging in vancouver than toronto at that time so mm-hmm. you know, i think they do big box restaurants a hell of a lot better than, than toronto does and uh you know i think toronto does you know the small independence as, as well as anybody in the world mm-hmm. that's such an interesting point and i mean when you think of vancouver it's so spaced out and so big um and newer mm-hmm. uh overall as a city you know so that's an interesting point i never really thought of that Very that's, cool. yeah that's, that's my take Okay, well, since I think your little guy wants you to have a little cuddle, <laughs> we'll wrap it up. <laughs> All right. Okay, Thanks, so Kelly. we'll wrap it up with just some quick rapid-fire questions just for fun. Sure. So water or land? Oh, water. Uh, apple or pineapple? Pineapple. Favorite drink? Negroni? No, that's like a mm. dickhead chef answer. It's not. It's <laughs> not. It is, it is, but it's not. Um, <laughs> like, that's, that's such an asshole thing to say. It's like saying cat hair. Um, <laughs> favorite, favorite drink you know i, I like uh you know I, I i like a white wine spritzer how about that delicious perfect for the weather that we've been having yeah um okay so you're in a cafe anywhere in the world and you hear glasses clinking people chatting maybe some music what city are you in oh Paris. and are you inside or outside i am inside and what are you drinking I'm drinking. I'm drinking Chablis. Mm, are you and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm eating. And I'm eating roast chicken. <laughs> Delicious. At a, at a restaurant specifically called Le Coq Rico. Mm. And who are you with? I'm with Martina for sure and my son. Well, that sounds lovely. And last question: If you were to pick a food to describe your personality, what would it be? Um, 
It would be something brave because it's you know it's not precious and you know it's, it's not something needs to be tended to. Slow cooking, break down the copper cups. Arlo, you're not going to. Yeah, a, a big, a big long braid, something, something unrefined and unpretentious. I love that. Okay, well, thank you so much, Corey, for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Shelly. Have a great night. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. You thanks, too. Shelley. Bye.